Perky Music. Good morning, Chapel Hill. Great to welcome you to worship. Thank you for making the worship of the Lord your priority as we kick off this glorious day. So last week I was at a dinner event uh, when the Chapel Hill members, Jay and Peachy Smalling, saw me and beckoned me over to their table. I went over and I was surprised to discover that seated with them was the Pope. Uh, it wasn't Pope Francis, it was another Pope. I didn't know we had another Pope, but there he was. And so I sat down across the table in a chair from the Pope, and I, I thought, well, I want to take this opportunity and strike up a conversation with him uh, to share with him some stuff that I thought might make a, an impact on him. But he wasn't the least bit impressed with anything I had to say. And it turns out all that he wanted was to steal my dessert, which he proceeded to do, that naughty Pope. Uh, I would have expected more from him. And then, after my dessert was stolen, I woke up. <laughs> I don't know where these crazy dreams come from. Honestly, I don't. I have no idea who the Pope was. I don't know why he stole my pudding. Uh, what I do know is that I should never have presumed to sit down next to him and strike up a conversation with him because he was not the slightest bit impressed with me. And I suspect that this dream might have had something to do with a parable that I have been studying and meditating on in preparation for this morning's message. So why don't we turn together to that parable and see what kind of dreams it's going to give you. It's from Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 7. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited to the dinner when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and the he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are continuing this morning in our summer sermon series called The One Another's. Fifty-nine times in the New Testament, we are instructed on how we ought to behave in relationship with one another. These aren't talking about the ways that we treat those outside the church, although Jesus and Paul had a lot to say about that. But our focus this summer is to ask, how should we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ? When someone who is from the outside walks in our doors and witnesses the way we are treating each other, what should be their experience of that? How should we treat one another? We've already talked about three of those one another's. Forgive one another, encourage one another, and then last week, Pastor Julie did a terrific job, didn't she, on accept one another. This morning we come to a fourth, honor one another. Say that with me. And we take that text from the New International Version of Romans 12.10, where Paul writes, Honor one another above yourselves. Say that with me. Honor one another above 
yourself. The ESV, the version that you find in your pews Bibles in front of you, puts it this way. And I like this version too. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. And there are different versions of this command scattered throughout the New Testament. One of my favorite comes from my favorite letter in the New Testament, which is Philippians chapter 2, where Paul urges the Philippians to consider others better than yourselves. But these various themes are all essentially saying the same thing. Honor one another. Honor one another. The Greek word for honor there means to esteem or to value or to lift up. It's similar to the word in, that we used for encourage one another. We studied that two weeks ago, but it actually goes a step further. It's not just speaking words of affirmation and value to someone. It's speaking words of affirmation and value about someone. Not just lifting one's spirits, but lifting one's reputation, declaring their values to other, others, de- trumpeting their accomplishments to others, affirming them and esteeming them in the sight of witnesses. There's a sense in which in- encouragement is kind of a, a private ministry, one-on-one. But but, but uh, honoring someone, that is more public. It is done in a crowd for a crowd. It's bragging on them in front of others. And it's partly what we mean when we have that phrase in our mission statement that says we elevate others. That's honoring them. A few weeks ago in our DNA series, uh, we were looking at one of our Chapel Hill DNA markers, which is we embrace humility. We are a big Church, but we are not big shots. Around here, we value a humble spirit. I've said this countless times before, but I believe that pride is the mother of all sin. And it is certainly the mother of all pastoral sin. Every time we read of another prominent ministry leader who crashes and burns, you can bet at the root of it all is runaway pride. They begin to believe their own press releases. They believe that the rules don't apply to them. And that's in the pastoral world. How about in the political world? We are in the middle of yet another electoral cycle. And it is just bathed in hubris. It is an endless cycle of of politicians who are exalting themselves over each other. And of this, I think my granddaughter Cece would say, it's yucky. It is yucky. It is yucky. Pride, yucky. Humility, good. But here's the deal. How do we get humility? How do we get it? How do we become less prideful and more humble? If I try to be more humble, it actually, I'm still focused on myself, aren't I? Thinking about myself. And if I think I'm making progress in the humility department, isn't that a potential for another kind of pride? I become proud of how humble I am. So it is an endless cycle. You end up chasing your tail. I think today's one another might be the solution. Because it turns our focus away from ourselves and onto others. Instead of obsessing about whether I am appropriately humble, it flips the script. It turns our attention to others. It's less about making myself smaller and more about making others greater. It's less about putting myself lower and more about lifting others higher. It becomes a positive, honor one another, instead of a negative, don't be proud. And 
In the process of honoring others, guess what happens? We do become less, less self-centered. You can't help it. I've shared this quote from C.S. Lewis. I share it again because I think it's so profound. He writes, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I love that. When I turn my focus to honoring others, as Paul encourages us, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm thinking of myself less and of others more. And I think this is at the heart of the parable that I just read that Jesus told. How many of you have ever attended a fancy schmancy banquet and had assigned seating? Raise your hand. I'll wait until all of you put your hands up because I know you have. You have to cooperate. This is the group participation moment. When you arrive, you are told what table you're sitting at and you are directed to a chart and you sidle up to the chart to find out where you fall in the pecking order because that's really what this is all about, isn't it? The closer you are to the head table, the more important you are. And conversely, I remember one banquet where Cindy and I were seated at the farthest possible table from the center of everything. We were literally in another room. It couldn't get farther. The only table that was farther from us was the water table. And all of the rest of us who were seated at the table of shame, we talked about it and laughed about it. Frankly, I liked it because it made it easier for re me to refill my water glass and to sneak out earlier. But at the time of Jesus, this slight would have been socially scarring because it was a shame-honor society. And in banquets, the, the closer you were to the host, the greater your honor. Of course, the farther away you were from the host, the less important you obviously were. Jesus had been invited to one of these fancy schmancy banquets by a religious leader who invited all of his uppity friends to come along, I think, to show Jesus off. And the Lord watched as these guests jockeyed for position, trying to shimmy their way up closer and closer to the front. And it was at that point that he told this parable, which I suspect had a chilling effect on what was happening in the room. Jesus said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Can you imagine that happening? Well, actually, I think you can. If you've ever been to a Mariners game, and I won't ask you to raise your hand because you did such a lousy job the last time I asked that, but I'll assume a lot of you have. If you've ever been to a Mariners game, and you've noticed a group of well-lubricated knuckleheads who begin to make their way down to an empty row of seats in the front. And then the usher appears, and there ensues a conversation. You can't hear the conversation, but you know what's happening. Because pretty soon the well-lubricated knuckleheads stand up, and then they begin their long walk of shame, past all of the jeers, back to their lousy seats in the nosebleed section, the ones they paid for. That's the walk of shame that Jesus describes in this moment. You arrive at the feast, you notice there's an empty seat up near the host, and you think, what the heck? Let's go for it. And unfortunately, just as you settle in, a more distinguished guest shows up. And the host, the very guy that you were hoping to sit near so that you could impress, 
like me and the Pope, that host comes and says, give your place to this person. And then you take that embarrassing walk of shame. I love the vivid nature of Jesus' description of it. He says, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. It's not just you go to the end of the table. No, you begin with shame to take the lowest place. In other words, it is a long, 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 humiliating walk from the place of honor that you chose for yourself to the place of shame that has been now assigned to you. But it didn't have to happen. Jesus gives an antidote for this terrible social faux pas. He goes on to say, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And that in a vivid picture story, is what it's like to honor one another above yourselves. To offer someone else the place of honor. The spotlight, the credit, the glory, the praise. Give it away, Jesus says. Don't seek the glory for yourself. Give the glory to someone else. And if we could do that, if we could learn to esteem and value and lift up and elevate others over ourselves... I think at least four good things happen. Here they are. I think you lower your anxiety, you diminish your pain, you bless your brother, and you delight God. Let's take a look at each of those. First of all, when you offer the place of honor to someone else, you lower your anxiety. If you are constantly on the lookout for opportunities to exalt yourself, It is exhausting. If you take your self-worth cues from others' esteem of you, from where others put you in their pecking order, you will always have anxiety about your position in life. But if you choose to honor others first, as Eugene Peterson puts it, if you choose to play second fiddle, you will lower your anxiety. You'll feel less out of control Because you're not relying upon other people's opinions of your worth. In a sense, you are taking control over your own emotions. You aren't waiting hat in hand, hoping to be important. You preempt this anxious posturing by giving the honor away. Let them have it. Let them have it. The more you depend on others' opinions of your value, the more anxiety-producing that is. And then similarly, if you honor others, you diminish your pain. Now, you don't get rid of all pain because life is pain. And frankly, some pain is really good for shaping us. But getting rid of a little of of your self-inflicted pain isn't such a bad idea. The humiliation of that guest as he, quote, began with shame to take his place at the bottom of the table, that pain was self-inflicted. I remember one year when I was with the high school kids on our mission build in Mexico, and I noticed our daughter Rachel was sitting by herself for dinner. So I went over in that big tent, and I pulled up a a metal chair, and I sat down next to her, and I said, sweetie, why, why aren't you eating with your friends? She said, because there's no room in their circle for me, and I am not going to push my way in 
I am not going to play their game. And I remember feeling two conflicting emotions at the same time. Anger, first of all, that my Rachel felt excluded from her high school friends. And confidence that she was going to do just fine in life because she was already discovering how to avoid the unnecessary self-inflicted pain that comes when you seek voraciously the honor of others. If you choose to honor others above yourself, you're going to lower your anxiety. You're going to diminish your pain. And the third thing you're going to do is you're going to bless your brother or your sister. When you look for a way to elevate someone else, when you lift them up instead of yourself, when you offer them the place of honor that you might have aspired to, it is an enormous blessing to someone who might really need that boost at that time in their life. Long-distance runner Simon Chaprot was approaching the finish line of a race, a long-distance race in Nigeria, with a chance to finish in the money. And that would be a big deal because Simon is a very poor man. But as he drew near the finish line, he noticed his friend and rival, a guy named Keith Kepkamoni, in distress. I want you to watch what happened. Finish nine. I think the medics, I didn't think the medics should just go there. They should rush quickly to his aid. That's the spirit. Crossing the finish line. They can crawl. You can do whatever, but just cross the finish line at what spirit. Sportsmanship to the highest order. And now, oh, this, this is, is lovely. This is, this is what sports should be all about. This is what sports should be all about. That's Trying to be your... Keep oh, that's the civil Chaprot, I think. Keep Kemoy. Keep that's Chaprot carrying him. Now the medics should just uh, go, of course, uh, and uh, help her. They should please, they should please rush, rush there. Speak, uh, they should just rush there. It's Chaprot. He almost brings tears to your eyes, doesn't it? I have been blessed with people in my life, most of whom you won't recognize the name. Names like Dave Newquist and Gwen Bradley, Henry Wells, Ben Johnson, Jeff Jeremiah, who lifted me up and put me forward and honored me and offered me a place of distinction I did not deserve. And to, to discover that you are valued by people that you respect, to be honored unexpectedly by them, it is an amazing grace. You have that same power. You have that same power to bless others around you if you are willing to give your honor away rather than clutching it to your breast. And finally, when you honor others above yourself, you delight God. You, you give delight to the Lord. And you think, how is that possible? Here's what I mean. You give God the chance to do what He wants to do for you. He wants to bless you and honor you and esteem you. God wants to do these things for His beloved children. The punchline of the parable of the story is that by choosing the lesser seat, it allows the host the opportunity that to, to move in the, to the place of higher honor, this guest that he wanted to honor. It gives the host the joy of, of being able to esteem this man in the front of his other guests. Apparently, Jesus' parable is saying, apparently God delights in honoring those who don't steal this prerogative from him by seeking to honor themselves. 
That's the meaning, I think, of the last line of the parable. Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, who is going to be doing that exalting? His point is God. God is doing the exalting. If you will be exalted, and honestly, who doesn't want to be exalted? Let God do it. It is one of the favorite perks of his job description. The brokenness of our world causes people to feel unknown, unloved, unseen, unesteemed, unhonored. We are desperate, every one of us, to be seen and known and valued. And if we are deprived of a healthy family or a healthy community where that happens on a regular basis, then we will set out on an unhealthy quest to find it for ourselves. So what is the Spirit stirring in you today about this? If the Spirit were to stir in you, what, it might look, what might it look like for you to begin to honor others above yourself? As I reflected on it, I thought, well, a starting point might be the, an- the manners that my father taught me in my childhood. Invite someone else to go first. Hold the door for another. Stand up on the bus and offer your seat. Pick up the tab at a restaurant. Write a thank you note. Clear the table after a family dinner. Be fascinated with someone else's story rather than feeling a desperate need to top it with another story of your own. Brag on someone in front of your family. Those would be a great starting point, wouldn't they? Parents, grandparents, a lot of this falls to you. Are you training your children to honor others? To shake hands with confidence looking into the eyes of the person they meet. To rise when an adult enters the room. To hold mom's chair at the restaurant. To say yes ma'am or yes sir. When was the last time you heard that in the Pacific Northwest? To excuse yourself when you walk in front of an adult who is seated. To go last at the buffet. To help an old woman with her groceries or her lawn. Our kids are growing up in a tick-tock world that focuses them on themselves upon honoring themselves, upon making themselves famous. And so all of this might start with you, parents and grandparents, fighting against this cultural tide, insisting that your children and grandchildren learn to honor others above themselves. And the best way for you to coach them in this is for you to model this for them. Brothers, sisters in the Lord, how are you doing at this? How are you doing it? Honoring others above yourself. How is the Holy Spirit convicting you this morning? What if we were to ask the Spirit to call uh, to our attention the times when we are jockeying to be noticed above others? What if we were to pray that the Holy Spirit would cause us to think of others as more important than ourselves? How revolutionary would that be? What if the Spirit teaches us to play second fiddle? And happily do it. What if the Spirit were to help our favorite competition at Chapel Hill be the contest to outdo one another in showing honor? Honor one another above yourselves. It is precisely what Jesus did, isn't it? When he took upon himself the shame of our sin, when he was lifted up on that dishonorable cross, which was a curse, that is what Jesus did for us. 
And it is what the Spirit of Christ does within us if we allow him to have his way. So the Spirit says, honor others above yourself. Will you allow the Spirit of Christ to have his way with you this day in that way? Jesus, thank you that you model for us what it means to honor others. You were the one who deserved all honor and glory. You were the one who was seated high on your throne next to your Father, superintending all of creation, which was your handiwork. You had the right to receive the esteem and glory of all creation, and yet in your humility you left it all behind and you came to earth. And rather than demanding honor, you honored us. You took upon yourself our scorn and shame. You were lifted to a cross of shame, all so that we might be saved from it, all so that we might be esteemed, honored, that we might understand how precious we are in the sight of our Heavenly Father. So Jesus, we confess this is a hard thing for us to do. We want to be noticed. We want to be important. We want to be lauded. We want our name to be in lights in some way. We, we want to matter. And we are inclined to thrust ourselves forward to grasp after that glory, that honor. Jesus, would you convince us of what you taught, that we don't need to do that, that we can step back, that we can offer the honor to others, and that we'll trust that at the right time, in the right way, for the right purpose, that you will honor us as you see fit. So Lord, make us that kind of a church. Astound those who come to visit us as we discover a place where we truly live to honor one another above ourselves. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.